Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Continue our sermon series, Weightier Matters. Weightier Matters. In 1961, Arnold Palmer had won two Masters Golf Championships, had them under his belt, and he was on his way to winning a third. In fact, he was coming up to the final hole, and uh, he was in good position with his next shot, believing that that would be an easy shot to chip onto the green. He was one stroke ahead of everybody else, and as he came up, he saw a friend who was waiting and watching on the side who smiled at him and reached out his hand to congratulate him, and so he went over feeling like himself. I'm not going to disappoint in this moment. But what took place next as he confidently swung at the ball, went over the green and into a sand trap and another shot and missed putt later on and Arnold Palmer lost the championship, lost the Masters. Uh, And so later on he was asked to recall those events and this is what he said, as soon as I shook his hand I knew I had lost my focus. Now, let me just share this. When pride is part of the equation, oftentimes we see ourselves as greater than we actually are. Arnold Palmer is considered one of the greatest players of all time. Over the scope of his incredible career, he has won 62 PGA Tours, four Masters, three PGA Championships, and a multitude of other achievements and awards. So you might think, how, how could that happen to somebody with so many achievements? How could Arnold Palmer allow himself in that moment to lose focus and to lose that opportunity to win his third Masters? And the truth is, it's pride. It's pride. Oftentimes, pride takes root in our lives and it takes root in different ways and it causes us to lose our focus and it actually begins to impact our lives in destructive ways. For some, it's overconfidence in our talents and our abilities. For others, maybe it's a self-supremacy over others. I see myself as greater than someone else. I see myself as smarter than somebody else. I see myself as wealthier than somebody else, wiser than someone else. I put myself in a position where I see myself as greater than somebody else. That's pride. Oftentimes, it's a need to always be right. Mm, I'll just leave that one go. Regardless of the form, really, pride is the deadliest of sins that can oftentimes go undetected in our lives. So as we continue the sermon series, Weightier Matters, uh, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, we're in divided times. We're in divided times. Uh, As the months go by, it seems that more and more conflicts abound. There's different viewpoints and feelings on this pandemic. Is the virus real? Isn't it real? Is it overblown? Are the numbers overblown? Or are there, is there a real serious health concern? There are debates over these things. All right, I'll just leave that there. There, you know, there, there is all kinds of division that is going on. You, you add to that, again, the racial tension and the division over whether monuments need to remain up as a marker of our history and a time to remember as to whether they need to come down. Sports teams, do they need to change their name or not change their name? What, what is happening? And, and then you, even more complicated is the fact that it's an election year, right? I mean, can we get any more divided than that? So as believers, what does the Bible say our position ought to be? How should we conduct ourselves 
in the midst of all of this conflict so that we can be a light uh, within this. You see, sometimes there's not only division in our culture, but if you've paid any kind of attention, you know that there's also division within the church. So how do we respond? Well, there's two passages of Scripture that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. The first one, again, Jesus addressing the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of his day in Matthew 23, 23 and 24, and he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and amos and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You ought to have done, ought to, you, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So in other words, don't stop doing those things, but at the same time, there are some things that you have forgotten, some things that I'm calling weightier matters, some things that are more important than some of these righteous acts that in some ways, as we're going to talk about today, have become self-righteous, a way to be able to point to a self-righteousness in our lives. Again, if you tie this to Micah 6.8, which most commentators do, you know that Micah 6.8 says this, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In this verse, again, the Lord lays out similar weightier matters. We see justice and we see mercy. Now, in this one, Matthew 23, uh, 23 says, uh, it says about faith. But in this one, in Micah 6, 8, it says walking humbly with your God. There are three areas to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And Micah 6, 8 is a summary of how we ought to live. So the last two weeks, we've looked at to do, what does it mean to do justly? We've looked at what does it mean to love mercy? Now today, I want to take a look at what is this third component that's critical to understand what does it mean to walk humbly with our God? Now the enemy to walking humbly with God is pride. <laughs> it's pride. That's the enemy to walking humbly with God. Walking indicates an intimacy with God. Walk is kind of an analogy for how we ought to live. You've heard the phrase, don't talk the talk unless you can walk the walk, right? Unless you can walk the walk. Uh, the idea of walking has its, its origins in Genesis uh, in the Garden of Eden where God was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And our walk with God is not only our conduct before Him, but it's also our fellowship with Him. A relationship of walking in step with God. Prior to Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, Adam and Eve enjoyed a fellowship with God where oftentimes God would come in the cool of the day, the evening, to take a walk with them, to, to interact with them in relationship. But we know that that fellowship was broken because of sin and really because of pride. You see, Satan appealed to them with a bait, the bait of pride, which was a desire to be like God, knowing good and evil. In fact, I believe that we have a virus that is very real today that we call COVID-19, but I think that there is a greater virus that we have forgotten about that has worked itself into our lives, and that is pride. It's a virus of pride. The virus of pride is that, that you can buy into the lie that you can make your own decisions and that you can live your own life and that you are autonomous and independent and nobody can tell me what to do because I know the answer. Pride. Pride. See, when pride entered in, it broke fellowship with God. 
And pride is a dangerous virus that the enemy uses to bring death and destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is arguably the deadliest uh, of, of an evil of all the sins because it has its root at the root of all other sins is pride. Pride was probably Satan's original sin when he said this, that Isaiah 14, uh, 14 says what he said, that I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself like the most high. It's, the, it's that same bait. Again, we see it with Eve. When, when he set aside, when they set aside what God had said not to eat, you don't, don't eat from this tree, it looked good. It was desirable for gaining wisdom, desirable to the eye. And they said, yes, God, forget what you said. We're going to do what we think is best. Forget what you th- said. See, at the heart of it, it's pride. It's pride that I can be like God, that I know what to do. Whenever I sin, really, I'm asserting myself saying, God, I'm better than you. God, did your word really say? Did God really say? Does your word really say? And as I begin to question the word of God, then I begin to say, well, God, in this situation, it's justified. In this situation, I can disobey you. In this situation, I know better than you. You just don't understand all the things. We are, we're more progressive today. We, we just have a little bit more knowledge. We know a little bit more today. At the heart of it is pride. It's pride. And it's something that as believers we will constantly battle with and it impacts our growth in Christ and in humility. So if anyone could have easily fallen into the sin and the trap of pride, it could have been a guy in the Bible by the name of John the Baptist. How many have heard of John the Baptist before? John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. Now, why do I say that John the Baptist, if anybody, could have fallen into the sin of pride? Well, uh, anybody, uh, there was nobody else other than Jesus that it was talked about of him that he would receive the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. In fact, Luke 1.15, this is what the angel told his father, Zechariah, in the vision he was given, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Wow. Not only that, but he was given a ministry of being the forerunner to the Christ, the forerunner to Jesus. What an important role. He enjoyed immediate popular success in Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding areas as people would literally go out to the wilderness to confess their sin, to repent, and to be baptized. He had an incredible ministry that was going on, considered a modern-day prophet, Even Jesus testified of John that he was the greatest man in human history. Matthew chapter 11, 11. Truly, I tell you, among these born of women, there has not yet risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. All of these things could have fed the pride of a young prophet in his 30s. When you think about it, sometimes we don't think about that, but John the Baptist was not much older than Jesus And Jesus began his earthly ministry at 30. John the Baptist was probably in his early 30s as well. And yet enjoying all of this success, enjoying all of these things that had been spoken over him, pride could have easily set into his heart. Yet in the face of Jesus' growing popularity, when there was a point in time when he was questioned about what was happening, here was John the Baptist's one-liner, and it's one that you and I would do well to live by, and that is this, he must increase and I must decrease. John 3.30. So how did John the Baptist learn how to walk humbly with God? 
What do we learn about that? Let me share a couple of important keys this morning to that. First is this, humility stems from understanding who God is. Really, the foundation of humility is when we begin to put God in His rightful position, which then puts us in our rightful position. It begins by elevating God. The context of John the Baptist's declaration comes during a time of tension among, that was growing among his followers and some of the followers of Jesus. There had been a tension that was growing. You see, John the Baptist's ministry was flourishing, but now comes this young guy, Jesus, into the mix, and many people are following Jesus. You see, Jesus and his disciples all of a sudden one day decided that in their ministry, they were going to move their baptism ministry down to the Jordan River, just down the way from where John was baptizing, because the Bible says that the water was plentiful there. And as he is baptizing, and these two ministries are growing, now both are in a similar area. You might say that, that Jesus went to plant a church right down the street from where John already had a church. So there, it's like, Jesus, why did you come here? So Jesus is going there, and all of a sudden, there's this tension, and we see it here in John chapter 3 and verse 26, says this, they came to John, his followers, and said to him, Rabbi... That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Hey, we're losing people to him. He's gaining popularity. Don't you have a problem with this? That's what the followers were coming and saying. Our ministry is decreasing. We're not getting as many people. We're not seeing the same success. Jesus is taking all of our people. Now, in this context, John could have easily reacted with pride. He could, have act, he could have reacted by trying to hang on, but in humility, what we see is his response in John 3.27, and this is what he says. A person cannot receive, uh, excuse me, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. So here's what we learn from John. John recognizes who God is. The foundation for his humility was founded upon an understanding of who God is and who he was in relation to him. See, oftentimes pride comes in when we forget who has given us what we have. When we forget that the freedoms that we have and the nation that we've been born into and the privileges that we've been given and the blessings that we have and enjoy have come by who? By God. We forget. They've come by my hand. They've come by what I've done. I've earned this. I have this house that I bought, that I put into, that I worked hard for for years. It's mine. I have this bank account. I've earned my position in this company. I don't want to lose that. But when we forget that the blessings are the things that come from God, then we begin to react in a fear of loss and really stems from a pride that says that is mine and who are you to take that away from me? But John didn't do that. He didn't get angry. He didn't get jealous when people were moving towards the ministry of Jesus when he experienced loss. He didn't try to hang on and regain what he had. Instead, he understood that what he had been given was given to him by God and that if God wanted to elevate his ministry, if God wanted to move people towards him, then that was God's job to do. He was just going to be obedient. In order for us to walk humbly with God, we need to understand who God is and what our relation to him is. 
And when life doesn't seem to go our way, we can stomp our feet, we can get all upset, and we can question whether God really knows what he's doing. In fact, sometimes that we do. God, why? God, why? It kind of reminds me of a story. If you were on Teaching Tuesday a couple weeks ago, I shared it. Um, but I just love it. An old poem tells of a woman who was wrestling or who was walking through a meadow one day, and as she strolled, she was meditating on nature. She came upon a field. It was in the autumn of golden pumpkins, and in the corner of the field stood a, stood a, 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 a grand majestic oak tree. The woman sat under the oak tree, and she was musing about the strange twists in nature. Why are tiny acorns on huge branches of a big oak tree while mighty great pumpkins are on these small, tender little vines? I think that God messed up in creation. If it was me, I'd have put the small acorns on the tiny vines and the big pumpkins on the big, uh, on the big oak tree branches. Before long, she dove off in the warmth of the late autumn sunshine, and then she was awakened as a tiny acorn dropped off her nose. At that, she changed her position. <laughs> as she began to understand that God knows best. Friends, we don't always understand the why. Why does God do the things that he does? Why does God allow the things that he does? Why did this happen in my life? Why did that happen in my life? Why did I have to go through this? But when we are submitted under the authority and the sovereignty of God, we do not need to fret for all that we have has been given to us by God. And in a moment, God could reverse circumstances like that. That is the faith side of things. You say, how does Matthew 23, 23 relate to Micah 6, 8? In order to walk humbly with God, you have to be able to walk in faith in knowing who you are in relationship to God. And in pride, not turn that around and forget it. If pride is an exalted sense of who we are in relation to God and others, then humility is having a realistic sense of who we are before God and others. Paul wrote in Romans 12 and verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. In other words, humility is having a right view of ourselves in relationship to God and others. Sober judgment. We, we are God's creatures. If you really think about it, we're small, we're, we're finite, we're dependent, we're limited in intelligence, don't argue with that. We're limited in ability, we're prone to sin, and soon we will die, and according to the Bible, we will face God in judgment. That's who we are. But also, we're God's children. We're created, we're loved, we're redeemed by God's grace alone, not, not anything of ourselves to boast in. We've been gifted by God. We don't deserve it with certain abilities and certain talents and resources and advantages, which are to be used for his glory. So let us not get that in reverse. It's why Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, pride takes place when we forget that all that we've been given has been given to us by God. Our positions our freedoms, and our opportunities. When we forget who God is, we begin to struggle and we fight and we get angry at God and we get angry at others and we hang on. That's my right. You can't take that away. Be careful. Be careful that in a stand for rights, 
it's not because of an elevated pride and a fear of loss. What's driving you? When Jesus' ministry began to increase and John's popularity began to decrease, John didn't attack Jesus. He recognized that the kingdom work was far more important than hanging on to his personal kingdom. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23 and 24. It's a message of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a matter of letting go. The kingdom is about letting go, not hanging on. The kingdom is about laying down our lives and ourself to someone who is greater. And in that, that's where we find life and peace and hope and rest. The second key is this. Humility is lived out in our relationship with others. Philippians chapter 2, Paul uses Christ as an example. And this is what he says about walking in humility with others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, when we understand who we are in relationship to God, it ought to then translate into humility in our relationship with one another. In opposition to selfishness, humility values others. Rather than seeking what I want or what I think I deserve, humility looks out for the interests of others. What do they need and how can I serve them? Humility is others-focused. It's focused on what benefits someone else. That's part of what the Lord requires. In Micah 6, 8, we can't value what is best for others or see the need or begin to relate to others with a loving kindness or an empathy or a tenderness. We cannot fight for justice if we have a sense of pride. A sense of pride gets us angry and leads to destruction, but a sense of humility allows us to be able to serve the needs of others, to be able to look out for their interests, to be able to see the pain that they are in, and to be able to act in mercy. We do that because humility becomes the glue that allows the other two to begin to function, walking humbly with our God. Jesus was the greatest example of what it was to walk in humility, following Paul's encouragement about doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He uses Jesus as the ultimate example. In verse 6, he says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did Jesus have the right? Was he perfect? Did he have the right? Absolutely. Did he lay down it in order to serve you and I? Absolutely. The ultimate example of humility is being willingly obedient to lay down our life in obedience to a greater will, and that is the will of the Father in heaven. True humility gets low and lifts others up. Humility looks to the need of others and gives time and effort to help those that are in need. Jesus took on the form of a servant even to the point of death. 
He doesn't ask us to do anything that he was not willing to do himself, nor the example that he laid out for his followers. Mark 10, 45, Jesus declared this, the son of man has not come or came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility measures everything it does by whether it serves the good of others. The question is, am I feeding my ego or am I feeding my faith? Humility serves. As we refuse to be preoccupied with ourselves and and our own importance and seek to love and serve others, we begin to reorient our lives away from self-centeredness to other-centeredness, serving and caring for others just as Jesus did for us. But you know, in our American narcissistic culture, this is particularly a powerful witness when the church looks to serve others rather than its own needs. That's what's going to be a witness today. The witness today is when I'm willing to serve others, when I'm willing to love others, when I'm willing to lay down what my own position if it means that I can serve and love somebody else. It's not about I. It's about others. It's about Christ. Let me just end with four dangers of pride. Pride develops an unrealistic view of ourselves. We've been talking about that, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. But again, pride elevates our own achievements. It elevates our own position. It elevates our own success. It, ele- it puts us on a pedestal and being increasingly, increasingly obsessed with being the best in success. Romans 12, 3. Don't think of your, don't think, uh, excuse me, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us. See, pride causes us to use a different standard. We look at our accomplishments or we look at, uh, at our, ourselves in relation to somebody else and we say, well, I'm better than them. Well, I know more than them. Well, I've achieved more than them. And we put ourselves on a pedestal. That's pride. Rather than giving praise to God and thanking God for the gifts that he's given us and the blessings that we have, we need to measure ourselves in relation to God's standard and not our own. Secondly, pride detaches us from community. Author Ryan Holiday writes in his book, Ego is the Enemy, if ego is the voice that tells us we're better than we really are, we can say ego inhibits true success by preventing a direct and honest connection to the world around us. See, pride causes us to assess our lives by the standard of our accomplishments and and, and our identity rather than in Christ. And and pride serves us in the way that God's design is to live in relationship with others. We're pushed into isolation by our self-confidence, believing the lie that life is better alone. Let me tell you something. I, I am grateful for our freedom. I'm grateful for independence. But I am, I, I believe that the biblical model is interdependence, not independence. We were never meant to live life alone. In fact, everything you see in Scripture, the church is related as a body. Before there was ever sin, God said, it's not good that you should be alone, but here's what happens. I get offended, I get upset, pride begins to enter in, and I begin to detach away from community. And as we detach away from community, that's when we begin to cycle because we have no accountability. 
God set it up that way in community so that we would have accountability and be accountable for the things that we say and that we can be challenged by others. But here's the thing, if pride is in our hearts, when you're challenged by somebody else that doesn't agree with you, how do you respond to that? If we place ourselves in a position where nobody is in authority, where we hear from God, we hear from God alone, and we make decisions, and nobody can speak into our lives, that is a dangerous place, and you are in danger of pride. We have to come to a place where we are under authority, we, we allow people to be able to speak into our lives, where we submit ourselves one to another, but we don't like the word submit. It doesn't fit our American culture. It's not a biblical model, it's an American model. But unfortunately, the American model has worked itself into the church and I think of myself as autonomous and I will not put myself under any kind of authority or any kind of voice unless it's one that agrees with me and not one that challenges me. But that isn't biblical, as iron sharpens iron, so one person, one man sharpens another. Have you ever been through the iron sharpening iron process? It is painful. It means there is conflict and there is tension, but we love each other enough and we serve each other enough and we are in humility enough, we can place ourselves where we can begin to grow, where we can begin to learn. That's discipleship. But I can't do that if I'm not in community, and I'm not in community because I've allowed pride to settle into my heart where I can't learn or listen for, to, to anybody else or learn from anybody else because doggone it, I know it all. I got a little off my notes. All right, number three, pride creates a critical spirit. That just goes into this whole thing. It, it, it focuses and zeroes in on the negatives rather than the positives. Instead of being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, we are, we are quick to speak, quick to become angry and slow to listen. We quick to judge others and their flaws while neglecting the flaws in ourselves. Our lives start becoming by permeated by competition and not unity. Compassion gets replaced with a self-righteousness as we look to our, our own successes and our own righteousness while we point out everybody else's faults. Where we, we are too busy trying to take the little splinter out of everybody else's eye, meanwhile we are ignoring the plank in our own eye. That's pride. Pride, fourthly, is to take life into our own hands. I've got this. I don't need it. I've got this. And when it chooses down, we walk an aimless path and we say, you know what? I don't need any light. I got this. I know where I'm going. And we stumble around in the darkness. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It leads to death. Pride, insisting in our own right way. Instead of the path of humility and walking with the Lord, we find ourselves on a destructive path being fixated on that thing that then leads us away from what God wants to do in us and through us. We're like a stubborn driver refusing to ask for directions, insisting we know our own way. Meanwhile, we find ourselves on a cliff and we're about to go over, but nobody can tell us anything different. And when that happens, we are in danger of James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace, it's the road of humility. The road of humility receives the grace of God. 
the road to pride puts you in opposition with God. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, because what does the Lord require of us? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. But oftentimes, pride gets in the way. For some who have not yet received Christ as Savior, I would venture to say that the issue is not a sin issue, it's not a shame issue, it's not a guilt issue, it's a pride issue. Some say that God can never forgive me for what I've done. Well, then that means that Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross was not sufficient for your sin. You have to pay for it. That's pride. That's pride. When I can't receive the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want to continue to punish myself, that is pride. But to receive grace is to humble ourselves and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your, I, I need you, Lord. And it also means I need to admit that the way I'm walking is wrong. I admit sin. You can't be saved if you don't start with a position of admitting sin. That's the place. But beyond just salvation, walking in humility in God involves submitting to his plan, submitting to him, submitting in humility and serving others. So here's what I want to do because a, 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 a stressor like a pandemic and like all that's been going on has a way of of squeezing certain things out of us that we did not know were there. So here's what I want you to do. The worship team's gonna begin to, to lead us and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, is there pride in my heart? Is there pride in my heart? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, show me the areas in my life where there is pride, where there is self-righteousness, where I need to, to allow you to work in my heart and to, to, to just begin to, 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 to bring me to a place where I am walking humbly in step with you. Humbly in step with you. Maybe it's your vertical relationship with God where you have forgotten who you are in relationship to God and you need to get that right. Or maybe it's in your responses to one another. Is there pride in our heart? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. If you'd like to receive Christ as Savior, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Just a, a prayer of humility and a prayer of invitation. Will you just pray with me right now? Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you love me. And I thank you for your grace. I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you right now, I humble myself and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to come in and I submit to the direction that you want to take my life. You become Lord of my life. I don't want to be in charge anymore. I humble myself right now and I, I surrender to you, Jesus. Come in and save my soul. In Jesus' name. And now, right now, if you know Christ, Right now, Holy Spirit, let's just ask, Holy Spirit, search our hearts right now. Show us areas where pride has stepped up. Show us areas where we have not been walking humbly with you, where we've not loved others, where we've, we've forgotten, Lord, that you are sovereign, where we have, where we have allowed pride to begin to, to seep into areas of our life, areas of our speech, areas of our actions. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Humble us, O oh God.
Teach us how to walk humbly with our God. Teach us, Lord, so that we might, so that you might increase and we might decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.